What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode seven of the Promptly Written Podcast. My name's Matt Shigarek, and I'm joined by the one and only Ian Lewis. What's up, Ian? Not not the one and only. There's another one out there, and he writes distinctly different stuff than I do. Okay. Well, I'm joined by the better Ian Lewis. Well, okay. I'm, we'll go with that I'm for joined. Now. <laughs> do you know how old the, the old guy is? is I he older? don't. I just know he writes he writes gay porn or like gay not, gay erotica, not gay porn. I shouldn't say that. Ian Lewis erotica. I'm googling him right now. He's a different guy than me. Let's see. Gay Pay Volume Three Kindle Edition by Luke Jameson and Ian Lewis. That's probably Ian O. Lewis. I'm just trying to find out how old he is. I have no idea. Oh, weird. Um. Hold on, I'm getting to the bottom of this. Didn't mean to derail you. No, it's okay. It's okay. This is almost just like live follow-up if you want. <laughs> um, he looks kind of young. So what I will say is we're just going to go back. My name is Matt Chigarek, and I'm joined by the Ian Lewis that does not write gay erotica. That's correct. All right, what's up, Ian? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Good. So if you're joining us for the first time... Here's what we do. We pick a writing prompt every month. Then each of us write a story about uh, about that prompt. And then we read them to you. And then we talk about them. So before we do that, we usually talk about some other stuff. So we're going to do that right now. Um, I think the first thing on the agenda is some follow-up from Ian. What do you got for us, Ian? Well, I got my release date nailed down. Um, I, and the last time we talked about, uh, you know, I, I was going to need to get my cover first before I was going to get my pre-order set up. Um, and you know, once process of setting up the pre-order, you get your release date. Um, and so that is going to be April 8th for my new novel. Um, it's going to be called from legend. It's the first book in what will be a five book series. Um, I'm kind of billing it as historical fantasy. Uh, if I could call it something, um, not much of what I write, you know, at least novel wise always fits into a neat category, but I, I think historical fantasy might, capture it the best so april 8th it's it's available for pre-order from an ebook perspective if you like ebooks um otherwise if you want a paperback you have to wait till release day gotcha they don't let you pre-order the the paperbacks huh no not not right now they don't know well i pre-ordered it so if if you could see a list of people that pre-ordered them one of them match garrick and i gotta tell you people for um if you go and follow ian lewis fiction on facebook it is ian lewis fiction on facebook right I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, if you go follow Ian Lewis Fiction on Facebook, um, he's been putting, uh, you've been putting prompt, like, uh, little snippets. Oh, yeah, little, little blurbs. Of the story up, like some little teasers. So, um, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're wavering and you're not sure whether you want to spend the three ninety nine to support Ian, which I think is, I mean, a no-brainer, but if you're wavering, go to Ian Lewis Fiction on Facebook and read some of these, um, these blurbs. Yeah, I'm doing, like, one a week up until, up until release day, so... Yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's gonna. I'm assuming it's just gonna populate my Kindle library at midnight. That's so, the way it's supposed um, to work. I'm pretty stoked about it. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Sweet. So, anything else? Uh, anything else about the book? Um, not not really. Nothing I can think of. I just I hope everyone picks it up and gives it a, a chance. Um, and you know, if you like it, I'd love for you to leave a review. That goes a long way. So, so. Um, and you know what? We'll come back around, and before we leave, we'll remind all these people to go buy your book again. Yes, absolutely. Sweet. So um, I think that's about it for follow-up. Um, if if there's any of you out there who've been listening since the beginning, um, we talked earlier about like how our 
my my process and Ian's process kind of differ a little bit. Um, usually my first draft is handwritten. Um, and then I take that handwritten draft and transcribe it where, Ian, you just type straight into the computer from the get-go, right? Yep. So with this month's story, I, I had like a brief outline that I was going to work through that I wasn't necessarily all that happy with. So I, I kind of procrastinated and put writing the story off. And I was getting down to the point where time was of the essence. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try just typing it. And I'm not going to do my handwriting thing for this story just to, just to see how it goes. And... Um, I got to tell you, man, I think it actually took me longer. Really? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's just like, I don't know, for some reason, like, whenever I'm just typing and I see it in front of me and that little cursor is blinking, I have a tendency to, like, reread everything that I've written a lot, especially if I don't know what's going to come next. So then I end up editing, and then it just takes me longer to get through the whole story. And it's it's, like, weird because... I can probably type fat. I can type faster than I think. You know what I mean? But I can't write faster than I think. Like when I so when I'm writing down, I'm constantly thinking about what's coming next and I'm constantly writing and like it seems like it's a more fluid process for me. Hmm. Um and I never get ahead of myself. But sometimes like I type so fast and then I just I'll just be sitting there and I'll be staring at the screen and be like, "Well, what am I going to do next?" And it was just it was just really weird. Now I think that so I think it took me longer to get the story out. That, that's that's strange, because I, I, would, I would feel like if I'm writing stuff, I can't write my ideas down quick enough, and I might I might lose a thought because they're all coming so fast, and so I like to type it. I, I don't know if it's maybe just because I've spent so much time doing the handwriting thing, and it's no, just yeah. like that. I mean, you, you have your, your method, yeah. That's my process, you know? But it was just, it was really interesting to me. I think now, now when you go, like overall like writing and editing like and going through i think i might have saved a little bit of time because it does take some time to go through and transcribe but that's usually when i'm making my first edit so i probably overall spent a little less time but man it 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 felt so much harder to get the story out when i was doing it that way it was really weird it's it's going to you're going to have a rough time when you write something like novel length well see what i was really trying to do this for is because like honestly when i'm doing something novel length i don't i'm not going to have a deadline you know what i mean like i might have a self-imposed deadline but i'm not going to have anybody coming like we need this you know we need this draft by september 1st now you know hopefully one day that could be a thing you know what i mean sure like i think everybody wants that thing they want you know they want like uh, you know Penguin Books sending emails, being like, "Where's your draft? Where's your draft? We got to get your draft out. Millions of people want to read your book." Yeah, I don't have that right now. So like when I go to write my novel, I, I'm going to be able to take my time. But I, what I was thinking about is like with my schooling, I always have a deadline. When I go to write this novel for my thesis, I'm going to have a deadline. So I don't know if it, I don't know if it's worth maybe trying to adopt this maybe push the handwriting aside and try to just work in the computer just for time's sake because i think it might be beneficial in the long run yeah or am i kidding myself and i'm just doing it because i just don't know so we'll see what happens well you know things change i mean we don't need to get into it today but i mean the way i approach just the writing process is is changed quite a bit for me since when i started i think you just you kind of evolve your your process as you go you figure out what works and what doesn't. I mean, I used to I used to write a, a like a paragraph and like I would not 
move past that paragraph until I felt it was, you know, perfect. Which, you know, if you don't, if you, if you can't get it perfect right then and there, that, that slows you down. Right. And then I got to the point now where I'm like, if I can't get it right, I move on and I know I'm going to come back and fix it later. So do you do something? Do you like, like throw a highlight? Do you change the color of the text or uh, do anything like that to remind yourself or just because you're going to go through and read it again, you'll remember? More, more the, the latter rather than the former. But okay. I, I, every once in a while, if it's like buried somewhere, I put a, I put a comment in that I know I'll revisit later. I know I've I've done some some type of stuff like that like when I'm typing it if if like the like if there's a word not coming to me um I'll make like I'll I'll put in all caps in bold like insert word here and then just keep writing. Yeah, sometimes I'll just use a synonym that I I know I don't want to keep but it it keeps my thought about what I want to do there and I'll I'll sub a different word later. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So, you know, I think this is probably going to be a a frequent topic as I, as I figure out what's, what's working here. But, you know, it made me sad not to be able to play with my pens, uh, <laughs> when we were writing the story. So I think it's safe to say for next month, we'll be, we'll be back to handwriting the draft unless something drastic happens. All right. So before we get to the stories, I reached out on Twitter last night to see if anybody had anything, any ideas for, you know, topics or whatever. And I actually got a couple of responses here. So the first was from Amy Romine. And she is at Amy J. Romine. Hi, Amy. Uh, thank, thanks for the follow, Amy. Um, and she suggested um, for us to talk about whether we are plotters or pantsters. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a uh, plotter would be somebody who goes in with, uh, with a plan, like an outline or, or, you know, everything is planned out before they start writing. And a pantster would be flying by the seat of their pants. So, Ian, we'll go to you first. Do you, uh, do you outline or do you just kind of roll with it? It depends. So anything that's a short story, I would never outline. Um, I always allow for a lot of organic development. Um, to me, that's more fun and more, uh, you have better creative ideas, I think, that way. Uh-huh. And even when I first started writing novellas, to a large extent, it was very organic. But the longer you get and the more complicated story you get and the more characters you have, um, there's huge, huge need to to outline your thoughts. And so... Anything I do today that's a novel, I, I will definitely outline. Okay. So do you do like um, like character sketches and stuff like that? Do you sit down and write there? Um... Yeah. Basically, I have, a, yeah, I have a little blurb about each character, about a paragraph, and then uh, my outline is a, basically about a paragraph per chapter. Um, just sort of like, hey, here's who's in, the, is in, this, in this scene and what's supposed to happen, and that's sort of the skeleton, and you just build, you build off that. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say that I outline everything. Short stories, everything. I come up with kind of a plan, because I think part of it goes along with my handwriting things. So, like, you might write something, and then you might write, be like, have an idea, and then you can skip, like, you, Ian, who are typing on a computer, you can be like, oh, I want to go do that, and then you just go scroll up in your document, and you insert a paragraph where you go, you type what you want, and then you go back down or whatever. So for me, I, br- I write pretty much linear, but I have an outline that kind of go- like where I just kind of brainstorm all my ideas. And then some of them have like little arrows drawn where I'll be like, put this up here and then go over here. And that way, when I go back and I start writing, I just have like a reference. So I wouldn't say that it's like, it's not incredibly detailed, but it's just like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and then these people do this. And then the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for, I haven't really done anything too long in prose. 
um, for my longer nonfiction stuff that was all outlined. Um, my screenplays were always outlined. The screen the screenwriting out or outlines were always fun because essentially they ended up being the skeleton of the screenplay. Because mm-hmm. then I would just go back to the outline and start elaborating on the description and then inserting dialogue, and my outline would actually become the screenplay. Okay. But um, yeah, no pantsing for me. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> you think? Yeah, because just just knowing you and me, I I would have guessed that that I'd be the plotter and you'd be the pantser, but whatever. Yeah, it's for some reason like I well, and I mean I do all my brainstorming handwritten too. So I just sit there and I just start writing down like I'll actually say that like this month's story, I wrote the outline and then when I was writing, I didn't even look at it. So I think sometimes maybe it just gets the story in my mm-hmm. head. So I don't know. Would you consider that pantsing? No. No, the the fact that you took time to write it down I think means that you you're somewhat plotting at that point. Yeah, so I like kind of got a handle on the story in my head, but this was the first one in a long time where I I don't think I referenced the outline once while I was actually writing it. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then our second suggestion came from Barbara Lucas. Hey, Barbara. Hi, Barb. Is it okay if I call you Barb? I'm going to call you Barb. And she's at Barbara underscore J underscore Lucas. And she wanted us to talk about tips on describing scenes in action. And I think that we might save this for next week. Does that sound? That's fine. Next month. All right. So that's what I meant. Next month. I think we're going to save this for next month. So Barb, I'm still calling you Barb. But yeah, we'll talk about that next month. And I can probably wrap my hands around that because uh, action, action is not something I do a lot of. I like to have my characters talk to each other. So I think, Ian, you do some gunplay and, and fighting and stuff like that. So um, I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, your... I don't know if I do it well though, so I've never had any commentary on my action. So, but yeah, I, I've I've tried to write it. You know, we'll go from there. I think I have a little bit of action for you today, but it's not anything too crazy. So, um, I think that brings us to this month's stories. Yes. Um the the prompt was little did we know. Look at that. You remembered to say the prompt. I did. It's like the first. <laughs> the, past, the past two months, we didn't say the prompt until like the outro. Yeah. <laughs> so who wants to go first? Um, up to you. Well, why, why break tradition, right? So my story is called Men of the Grail, which will make more sense probably after I explain everything. Um, but we'll just get right into it. All right. I'm ready. Jim. The only other Yank besides myself and I walked into the cool of Nigel's flat with the same casual air of subtle voguishness that we always did. Jim wore his tailored slacks and Bruno Maglis, a $200 peak polo shirt, and an Omega Speedmaster. He casually removed his aviators and tucked them into his collar. It was his weekend attire. Nigel sat with his afternoon cuppa. Hello, my fellow savants, he said as he lounged on a black leather couch, one leg crossed over the other. He wore a trim Savile Row suit, loafers, and his vintage Rolex submarine reference 6536, the one with the red depth rating. He stood and shook our hands, exchanging the usual pleasantries. It was our annual meeting of the mind, so to speak, and I for one can never not wear anything but my Bright Lake Navitimer's 60th anniversary with a blue sky dial. It matched nearly anything in my wardrobe, 
including the raw salvage denim I wore at that moment. Breitling was one of the few remaining independent Swiss brands, and it was only a heritage which stretched back to 1884 that could carry such an important occasion. Jib would flaunt his speedy, claiming that its significance as the first watch on the moon trumped anything else. This watch even saved the Apollo 13 mission, literally. They used it to time the engine burn so they could course-correct and get back to Earth when all else failed. He cast a disparaging glance at Nigel. Your sub can't claim that. Still quibbling over significance? Bruno, the Italian, came bursting through the door. He was a lusty man, vibrant and full of bravado, in his open white collar and charcoal gray slacks. He almost always had a beautiful woman on one arm, and even more frequently an exclusive timepiece on the other. His watch game was at such a level that he'd selected a Tudor Black Bay as his shower watch. That day he wore his gold Patek Philippe chronograph, reference 5070. Don't get me started on the sub. I cut in, right? If you're really concerned with lineage, then you ought to be wearing a blank pane. Nigel rolled his eyes, knowing full well the fact that the blank pane 50 fathoms predated the submariner as arguably the quintessential dive watch, and that Jacques Cousseau even wore one during the filming of his early documentaries. Does blank pane have its own foundry, he asked? Rolex makes its own gold, for God's sake. No one is as vertically integrated as they are. Movements, dials, cases, bezels, bracelets. It's all in-house, mate. The conversation continued to evolve. Of course, we were all looking for something better. The next big thing. Our grail watch. And money was never the object. We were the elite. The dusting on top of the upper crust that most never got a whiff of. We're the kind of people who don't need to make reservations to get into the French laundry. And if you need to ask what the French laundry is, then you aren't even remotely in our universe. Jim got us back on track. So what's all the hoopla? Why is this year so special? Nigel took a sip of his tea. We have to wait for Sven. As if on cue, Sven walked in, a tall, brooding Dane. His blazer was rumpled and his slacks weren't pressed. His deep blue eyes hung forlorn within dark, puffy circles. Well, why are you such a sad sack, Jim needled Sven, stepping near to get a look at the Vacheron Traditionnel attached to his wrist with a brown alligator strap. What the hell? It's not even running. Sven's face dropped even more. I've stopped winding my watches, he shook his head. There's just no point anymore. Jim's face was aghast. What are you even talking about? Sven shrugged. There's always something better. Nigel cut in. Listen, gentlemen, herein lies the problem. Our good friend here knows there's something more enticing out there, but he really doesn't know what it is. Well, I can tell you that I do. It's something fantastic. A marvel of timekeeping, the pinnacle of technology. More accurate than any watch you own. A vintage pastiche. No maintenance required within the first ten years. Precision doesn't begin to describe it. I felt the first sense of excitement. What's this now? Nigel stood, crawling all of us around him. I have a line on something magnificent. Those in the know don't even know about this watch. But you'll remember I have my connections. And I've arranged it so that we might have a look. Bruno erupted, his face flush. A look! I want to buy the damned thing. We all laughed, cheery as amongst friends, but deep down I knew each of us was already vying for this mystery watch. Little did we know what foolishness we were about to undertake. When do we leave, I asked. Nigel set down his tea. Straight away, but first we dine. We collected ourselves and then shuffled out of the flat, taking Nigel's Range Rover to the Leadbury where there was a table waiting. We gorged ourselves on Chantilly Oyster and Veal Tartare, Bantam eggs with dice ham and mushrooms, 
steamed cuttlefish, guinea fowl with pear and autumn truffle, iberical pork, hen of the woods, and potato emulsion. Wine flowed freely, and we finished it off with brown sugar tarts and ginger ice cream, as well as chocolate mousse with plum and sake ice cream. Fully loaded with food and drink, we set out again under the breezy night sky, gliding along in the supercharged, leather-coddled, champagne cooler of an SUV that was the Range Rover. And yet we all still salivated as we thought about the magnificent timepiece we would soon behold. The giddy, uneasy silence in the cabin told me as much. We drifted along streets bustling with nighttime activity until we reached Canary Wharf. We went into one of the bank buildings, I can't remember which, and were met by a round fellow in a dark suit and tie. He allowed only the briefest smile before nodding and saying, Follow me, gents. I swore I could detect a trace of Cockney, not the type of dialect I'd expect of someone receiving our entourage, but Nigel didn't seem bothered, so we went with it. We were escorted across a polished floor to the elevator where we descended down into the basement. There, shrouded in darkness save for the intermittent overhead lighting, a narrow cement floor stretched down a narrow corridor. We followed obediently, wondering about the cloak-and-dagger routine as the round man entered a key code and then a biometric scan to get through the door at the end. We entered a small anteroom, ambient with recessed lighting and configured with several leather chairs and an Art Deco coffee table on one side and a plush leather sofa on the other. The round man directed us to sit before he disappeared through another door, and so we did. Minutes wore on with Nigel picking at his nails and Bruno impatiently tapping a foot. Even Sven had recaptured some sense of vitality, his brow rising in a timid hopefulness. Jim and I just traded competitive glances. I knew he wanted to get inside first. Ten agonizing minutes passed before the door opened and our host beckoned us in. He's ready for you, he said in an even tone. We sprung to our feet, jostling each other as we muscled our way into the next room, wondering who he was. Some wealthy collector? A genius watchmaker? A master of horology? A few steps through the doorframe felt like a hundred. We found ourselves standing in a rudimentary office, just as low-lit as the anteroom, with a wide desk behind which sat a high-backed chair. A bald, narrow-faced, bespectacled man sat in the chair with hands clasped on the desktop. He wore a black suit, black shirt, and black tie. Good evening, he said. No one said anything for a moment. We were too entranced. Finally, Nigel spoke up. We're, uh, we're here to see the timepiece. He looked at each one of us, scanning our faces before turning back to the man behind the desk. The slightest grin cracked the man's lips. Yes, that is our arrangement. He stared back at us with impenetrable eyes, not moving at all. We shifted about as tense as can be. The torture of waiting was almost too much to bear. At last, Bruno stepped forward. Well, show us the watch already. Again, another slight grin from the man. He nodded, reached for a drawer, and produced a felt-covered box. He placed the box on the desk, and we all crowded around it. Then he opened the box. Wrapped around a blue watch pillow was a steel band attached to a square gray watch case. Instead of the elegant hands we expected to see, there was a busy LCD display that showed the time, date, and a world map. The man spoke without any hint of disdain. I present to you the Casio AE-1200. Something inside me seized up. My gut lurched and a cold sweat broke out on my neck. Is this a joke? Jim erupted in similar misgivings. What the hell? Is that case made out of plastic? Nigel's mouth hung open. A Casio? Bruno turned to Nigel, his seething face red as a beet. You said this was a marvel of timekeeping. The man behind the desk interjected, calmly but firmly. 
The movement is a quartz crystal whose finely tuned harmonic resonance is electrified, thereby creating oscillations at a very specific frequency which drives a binary counter that emits a digital pulse once per second. A marvel indeed. Nigel mumbled to himself with a blank stare. More accurate than any watch you own. Plus or minus 30 seconds per month, the man said. I cut in, belligerent. What about vintage pastiche? The man took my question in stride. This watch is an obvious nod to the Seiko G757. Bruno threw his hands up in exasperation. The watch from Octopussy? The man nodded. His brow remained level, and his expression betrayed no sarcasm. Nigel ran his hands through his hair absentmindedly as he continued to mumble. No maintenance required within the first ten years. The man clasped his hands together again as he leaned back into his chair. Correct. It has a ten-year battery. I shook my head, numbed by disbelief. I watched as Bruno stormed out of the room, cursing to himself in Italian. Nigel began to wobble, weak-kneed, and I thought he might fall over. Jim paced the room. Then Sven burst out in laughter. He laughed until he cried, collapsing to his knees after which he proceeded to remove his watch and smash the dial into the floor. I suddenly felt very foolish standing there in that clandestine little room. The five of us had been duped, led along by our blind frenzy for this grail watch, only to have our egos humbled and our expectations tempered. I slowly turned away from the man in his Casio, hanging my head as I slinked out the door. Jim followed with Nigel on his heels. In another two minutes, Sven emerged and we all stepped into the elevator. Nigel turned to us with his sheepish brow knit in embarrassment like he wanted to say, Gents, let's pretend this night never happened. Instead, he forced a grin and said, Listen, mates, let's head back to my flat and I'll show you my new Daytona. The end. Uh, this made me so happy. <laughs> I can't even, like... So, you're a fan of watches, correct? You're like you're a you're a timepiece fan. Do you do you want to talk about the story now or later? We'll talk about the story later. I'm sorry, but oh, I yeah. like freaking I got yes, a kick I, out of it. Yes, I enjoy watches, but I'll explain later. So while you were reading, I the reason I laughed is because while you were reading, you said Casio AE1200. So I took it upon my <laughs> Did you look it up? I took it upon myself to Google it to see if that was what you made up or if it was something real. Because if you made it up, I wanted to know if the name of it had any significance. Oh, okay. But then, <laughs> it is a real thing, and, like, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda want one. <laughs> I own one. It's the best 25 bucks I ever spent. <laughs> it's, like it's awesome. It's Target. It's $26.49 at Target, and I really it's kinda like want so one. It's, like, so cheesy, 80, cool, like, and it's got the Bond uh, thing going on, so I'm like, I had to have it. It is awesome. I love it. So, yeah. okay, so we'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But then, I also looked up the Seiko, the Octopussy Watch, and okay, it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of rad too. Yeah, it's it's a it's different. It's a very similar kind of layout, but it's it's different enough. This is definitely a different price bracket though because the one I found is on Etsy for $335. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a it's a vintage timepiece, so. Okay. So But anyways, that made me happy. Well done, <laughs> sir. Um, so I guess it's my turn, huh? It is your turn. Take us away. So what did I end up titling this? Sorry. For those of you listening, I came up with the, I was thinking about the title for like two hours before, and I'm still not sure if I'm completely happy with it. But as of right now, the title of my story is Siphon. But little did we know, the brightest light would cast the darkest shadow. 
The entire congregation sat in silence, wide-eyed, staring blankly at the young man at the lectern. Thank you, Robert, for that very interesting poem. Robert nodded toward Father Ken before returning to his seat next to his mother in the front pew, who pinched him hard on the leg. Damn it, Mom, I'm 23 years old. You can't pinch me anymore. You watch your mouth in church. She pinched him again for good measure. What the hell was that about? Darkest shadow? The priest continued before Robert could answer. Let us all remember that as we bid farewell to Rose today, that we are only saying goodbye to her earthly body, and we will one day be reunited with her at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. The entire church was shaken as someone slammed through the exit door at the back of the sanctuary. She'll rot in hell, cried the voice of the recently departed. Father Ken knew that he was about to lose his audience completely and decided to quickly complete the service. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Twenty years earlier. Susie lightly accepted the nurse's hand and allowed herself to be led out of her room and down the hall. It was hard to walk being tethered to the IV pole, and she couldn't help but to constantly check the tubing that swung between her hand and the medicine pump as they proceeded slowly toward their destination. They'd given her yellow slipper socks to wear, and while the little rubber grips that patterned the bottom did a good job of keeping her from slipping on the linoleum, they did little to keep the chill from the tiles from penetrating the thin fabric. She shivered. The playroom was long and narrow. Windows lined the right-hand side, allowing the gray light from the overcast day to wash over the drab, cream-colored walls and faded yellow countertops. The low whir of a motor was coming from a recently abandoned air hockey table that sat parallel to the window, and the puck was slowly moving back and forth on the edge of the goal, almost willing itself to teeter over the edge. One mallet sat next to the goal closest to Susie, while the other lie inverted on the floor, mimicking the motion of the puck. The scoreboard read six points for the home team, six points for the visitor. The nurse's eyes were fixated on the floor-bound mallet, and she sighed deeply in frustration. The other two occupants of the room, a boy and girl both close to Susie's age, were now focused on setting up a game of Connect Four at a short table on the opposite side of the room. Now, Charles, what have I told you about cleaning up after yourself? Charles looked up at her and smiled. If he wouldn't have been clad in the hospital gown, you'd be hard-pressed to know that he was sick at all. Sorry, Nurse Emily. I guess I forgot. He moved toward the table, but Emily motioned it back. Don't worry about it now. Just make sure you pick it up before you leave. Sure thing. Susie stood directly behind Nurse Emily to block herself from the view of the other children, shrinking herself down as small as she could. Hey, said Charles. What do you got hiding back there? He peeked his head around the corner and met Susie's eyes before she quickly darted them away. Oh, this is Susie. Emily lowered her voice to a whisper. She's a little bit shy. Well, I'm not, said Charles as he puffed out his chest and made his way around Emily to meet Susie eye to eye. Put her there. His hair was sort of an overgrown bowl cut and looked massive in comparison to his tiny facial features. His grin was infectious, though, and his blue eyes sparkled with innocent wonder. He grabbed Susie's right hand and shook it vigorously. I'm Charles, and I'll be your tour guide for the sixth floor playroom. He pointed to the air hockey table. That's the air hockey table. He turned his attention to the small round table where the other girl was focused on separating the red and black checkers that were scattered across its surface. That's where we play board games. He looked around the room for more but came up short. He shrugged his shoulders. Well, I guess that's the tour. He laughed to himself and ran back to take a seat across from the other girl. Emily took her hand again and nudged her closer to the table. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? You guys have room for one more, right? 
Sure do, said Charles. You could play winner. It shouldn't take too long. Val isn't all that good. I usually mess with her a little bit before I go in for the win. As if, cried Val. Emily stepped in to moderate. Okay, you two. How about the one who isn't playing as the referee? Just to keep things fair. How's that sound? Okay, I guess, sighed Charles. Emily guided Susie to the opposite side of the table and situated her in a chair that gave her a view of the whole playroom. As Val and Charles divided the checkers, Susie watched an old woman wearing a red vest slowly move into the doorway. She grabbed the frame to steady herself and took a few deep breaths before she announced her arrival. Emily, dear, is that you? Susie watched as Emily's face lit up in recognition and spun around to go meet the old woman. Rose, I didn't know you were going to be here today. Hold on, I'll be right there. Susie was occupied counting the number of each color of checkers, so she didn't see when Charles met Val's eyes and quickly darted his toward the door, signaling his intent to leave. She nodded in agreement, but hesitated and motioned towards Susie. She silently mouthed, But what about her? Charles shook his head. There's no time. Emily moved quickly toward Rose, preparing to throw her arms around her, but stopped a few paces out, taken aback by the dark shadows under her favorite volunteer's eyes. As Rose took another big step toward her, she grimaced and her left knee went out from under her. Emily lurched forward to catch her just before she would have tumbled to the floor. Rose! exclaimed Emily as she returned her to an upright position. She steadied her and then grabbed both of the fragile woman's hands. My God, your hands are ice cold! She began to rub Rose's hands between hers to try to bring some life back to him. The last time that Emily had felt human skin like this was at her own grandmother's funeral, just before they had lowered the lid of the casket. She shuddered at the memory and instinctively jerked her hands back, startling Rose. Oh, Rose, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Rose began to chuckle to herself, which quickly turned into a weighty cough, followed by the clearing of her throat. Emily's concern grew, her eyes narrowing down at Rose, who cut her off before she could say another word. You're so sweet to worry about me, dear, but I'll be fine. I'm just getting a little rusty in my old age. Are you sure... Emily tilted her head to the side like an inquisitive puppy, unsure as to whether it's truly just a walk being promised or another one of those manipulative trips to the vet. She chuckled again without the resulting cough. Absolutely, sweetie. Now how about you let me pass so I can go play? Do we have any kiddos in here today? She peered around Emily, and her lips began to curl into a smile as she saw the trio occupying the table at the far end of the room. Susie couldn't help but notice the sudden change of her new friend's demeanor once the old woman had entered the room. Charles, who had barely taken a breath since introducing himself to her, had gone completely silent, and while both he and Val appeared to be focused on the game between them, very few pieces had been played. They both certainly seemed to forget that she was there, that's for sure. She thought she saw their eyes meet once, but she had been unable to look away from the latest entrant to the room. There didn't seem to be anything especially extraordinary about her, she had curly, blue-gray hair and a tight perm, and wore ruby frame glasses held in place by a string of pearls. Her blue sweater was buttoned only at the top, revealing an ivory blouse which was tucked into elastic-waisted jeans. Her choice in footwear either spoke of the time she spent as a nurse in her younger years, or maybe she just needed a little more support. In short, she looked like everybody's grandma. Emily offered her arm to Rose, which was graciously accepted, and she began to lead the woman to the back of the room. They had just made it to the air hockey table when Charles and Val's heads snapped up. Now, whispered Charles, 
The two stood up instantly and began to make their way towards the door with purpose, their heads down and arms at their sides. Just as they were about to pass Rose and Emily, Charles slipped on the air hockey mallet and fell into Rose, grasping at her jeans. Charles, be careful, cried Emily. Rose looked down upon Charles with her pale green eyes. She reached toward him, and as their gaze met, her pupils fully dilated, replacing all of the green with a deep black. He fell backwards onto his tailbone and yelped, then backpedaled frantically, scooting across the floor before jumping to his feet. Val caught up with him at this point, and they both continued straight out of the room. He veered to the left while she went straight down the hall and disappeared into a door on the right. Emily gasped and looked at Rose apologetically. I'm so sorry. I don't know what could have possibly gotten into them. I'll be sure to talk to them later. Oh, don't worry about it, replied Rose. Kids do the darndest things. She looked over to Susie, who looked up at both of them like a deer caught in headlights. At least I have someone here who might like to spend a little time with me. What's your name, dear? Susie looked up at Rose, then to Emily, then back to Rose before looking away entirely. Susie. Rose smiled. Well, hello, Susie. My name's Rose. Mind if I join you? Something told Susie that based on the recent display put on by Val and Charles, this was the last thing that she wanted, but here she was, cornered in the room and tethered to this giant pole. She didn't really have a choice. No, ma'am. Rose chuckled. Listen to you. There's no need for the formalities. Just call me Rose. Emily guided her into the chair that had recently been vacated by Val. As she sat, Susie felt a slight breeze, followed by a chill that caused all the hair on her arms to stand straight up. What do we have here? Connect four? Susie just nodded as she pulled her arms in and began to slowly rub them. She shivered. Well, it looks like they barely even got started. Rose slid the board over so that it was now centered between the two of them. What do you say we just pick up where they left off? I'll be red. For Rose. Another nod. Emily sighed a breath of relief as Rose began to pass the black checkers over to Susie, who stacked them in front of her. If you guys are okay, I'm going to go see if I can find out what got into those other two. We'll be fine, said Rose. Go easy on them. There's kids. She looked over at Susie and gave her a little wink. This seemed to relax Susie, who forced a little smile at Emily. Yeah, we'll be fine. Satisfied, Emily turned and left the room. Rose watched her turn the corner and walk completely out of sight before turning her full attention to the game board. She counted the pieces that had already been played and nodded to herself. Okay, there's three red and two black, so according to my calculations, that makes it your turn. Susie grabbed a checker from one of her neat piles and rubbed it between her thumb and forefinger as she examined the board. She dropped a checker to block Rose from getting an early win. Ah, shucks, you blocked me. The pair went back and forth for a few turns in silence, both sighing in exasperation as each of their strategies were exploited by the other. Susie grabbed another checker and placed her hand next to the board in anticipation of her next move. Rose's eyes drifted up towards Susie, now intensely focused on the game. She moved the checker in her right hand to hover above the yellow grid and watched as Susie's eyes locked on her hand. She followed it left and right, leaning forward as she waited for the disc to drop. Hmm, sighed Rose. While she had Susie focused on her right, Rose moved her left hand up and gently placed it over Susie's. Susie shot straight up in her chair and began to slowly arch backward, her face now pointing toward the ceiling. Heat radiated through her hand and began to slowly make its way down her arm to the rest of her body. 
She tried to cry out, but the only sound that came out was a slight clicking from the back of her throat as her windpipe began to close on itself. She wanted to grasp at it, but she couldn't move, her limbs no longer under her control. Her breaths became short and panicked. Every heartbeat sent waves of sharp, piercing pain throughout her body, each one stronger than the one preceding it. As her pulse quickened and the intensity of the pain increased, Susie's head snapped to face forward, locking into position with a sickening pop. Unable to move her head or close her eyes, her vision was limited to only what was within her peripherals. It was only a moment before she locked eyes with Rose. All of the green had once again been replaced with total darkness. Only the hint of white peeked out from the corners of her eyes. Susie felt like she was being pulled forward and had to will herself to look away. Her eyes moved down toward her hand, which was barely within her field of view. A soft crimson glow pulsated from within Rose's skin, synchronizing with her own rapid heartbeat. She looked back towards the old woman's face, and in trying to avoid the eyes, found herself staring at a wide mouth locked in a jokeresque sneer. A small amount of drool began to drip from the left-hand corner of her lips. Susie's head snapped back to face the ceiling, and the pulsating pain was turned up to 11. Her eyes began to burn, and she tried as hard as she could to scream, but she couldn't get anything out. Even the choking sounds were now unobtainable. She felt herself beginning to convulse, and hot tears streaked down her face. The walls began to close in on her, slowly removing the light from the room. Just as she was sure she was inches away from total darkness, Susie suddenly felt nothing. She looked across the table and Rose sat tapping her finger while looking at her intently. Did you get a play or what? The color in her eyes had returned, a much more vibrant green than before, and her skin had a youthful glow. A knot formed in Susie's stomach and the checker in her hand hit the table and rolled to the floor. Something the matter, dear? Susie stood on wobbling knees and began to leave the room. She only made it a few feet before she ran out of slack in the tubing, giving her IV a good yank and she grimaced as she turned back for the pole before beginning her journey again. Susie? Susie's pace quickened as she fought the IV pole for control on her way out of the room. As she made it to the doorway, she slammed the base of the unit into the floorboard, which caused Emily to look up from the paperwork she was doing at the nurse's station. Her eyes followed Susie as she navigated out the door and veered left for her room. Everything all right, Suze? Susie ignored the question as she crossed the threshold of her room, closing the door behind her. Emily's eyes hung on the door for a moment before moving back to the playroom where she found Rose standing in the doorway. She rushed over to her friend. Rose, what happened? I'm not sure. I guess some kids just can't handle getting beat by an 80-year-old, she smirked. Emily's eyes went over to Susie's door. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like her. Rose shrugged her shoulders. Uh, maybe she was just tired. Charles heard his neighbor's door close, followed by Susie's quiet sobs. He made his way over to the door and cracked it just enough so he could see out into the hall. Well, I don't think that there is anyone else that's able to leave their room, so I don't think you'll need to stick around anymore today. Emily took Rose's hands into hers. Thanks for... Hey, that's weird. Weird? Yeah, well, when you first came in, your hands were so cold and clammy, and now they're... Well, they're completely normal. Rose smiled. Well, what can I say? These kids really warm my soul. Emily put her hands to her chest, beaming at the old woman. Oh, bless your heart. Let me walk you out. Rose accepted Emily's arm once again, and they made their way down the hall about 20 feet where the bank of elevators sat behind another set of security doors. Emily opened the door and watched as Rose hit the call button. She stepped back into the ward, making sure that the door latched behind her. 
and she walked back to the nurse's station, she saw Charles peering out into the hallway. She shook her head as his door slowly closed. It had been 15 years since Susie had last stepped foot in the building, and her nerves were getting the best of her. She stepped off the elevator and took a deep breath as she hit the button on the intercom next to a door marked Staff Only. How can I help you? A digitized voice asked through the tiny speaker. Uh, hi, my name is Susie. It's my first day. Oh, great. Wait one second. I'll be right there. In less than a minute, the door opened and Susie's face lit up. Even though her features had begun to weather and wisps of gray had started working their way through her long black hair, she recognized Emily instantly. Oh. My. God. Emily. I can't believe you still work here. I'm not sure if you remember me or not, but I was a patient here once. Emily smiled. I've seen a lot of patients in my day, but I never forget a face. Of course I remember you. She motioned Susie through the door and pulled the door closed behind her. Come on. I'll show you where you can set your things and we can catch up while I get you settled in. The two women walked side by side toward the nurse's station, but something caught the corner of Susie's eye as they passed the playroom. She stopped dead in her tracks. At the table, at the far end of the room, an old woman with blue-gray hair sat with her back to the entrance. She wore the signature red vest of a volunteer and appeared to be playing a game with a young child. Couldn't be. She could be a hundred by now. Everything okay, said Emily. Oh, yeah, sure, replied Susie. It's just that woman. She looks so familiar. Emily smiled. That's Rose. She's been volunteering here for years. Maybe you met her back when you were a patient. Susie just stared into the playroom. She wanted nothing more than to go grab that little girl before she had an experience that would haunt her dreams forever. Susie? Oh, she laughed nervously. I don't think so. The name doesn't sound familiar. Well, she's incredible. One of the best volunteers we've ever had. Literally a gift from above. I'll make sure to introduce you later. But for now, we've got work to do. Emily grabbed Susie by the arm and led her away from the playroom. Rose smiled as she felt Susie's eyes leave her back. Much like Emily, she also never forgot a face. Do you have any threes? said a tiny voice from across the table. The young girl couldn't have been more than four or five. The left side of her hair was pulled into a pigtail. The right side had been shaved, putting a large incision on full display. How did you know, smiled Rose. She selected two matching cards from her hand and reached across the table, letting them fall into the pile just before accepting the girl's hand into her own. Oh man, that's creepy as all get out. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's uh um, I was I was going for creepy. Yeah, that was very creepy. Yeah, I don't like Rose very much. I agree with uh your family. Oh, yes. So, um we were talking about this beforehand and I was really trying hard to come up with a title and um I I was just I was having some trouble and, and my wife just blurted out she she blurted out fuck Rose, she's mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, I, I I probably laughed for like a good minute straight. I went but even this. then, that doesn't really capture what's going on here. I mean, <laughs> I'd say so, R- Rose is quite evil. Rose is R- quite Rose evil. Rose needs to die. They, well, there is, um, I have a, I know a lot more about Rose than, than, than you let on here. Than I let on in this story. So Interesting. Um, it seems like every story that I write for this damn, damn podcast <laughs> 
It's part of something <laughs> it has bigger. potential to be like something huge. That's not so a bad it's, thing. I, it's not a bad thing, but like when I sit down to figure out what huge thing I want to write, I'm going to have a whole lot to pick from. Or here's an idea. You can weave them all together into one giant story. Yeah, I don't know. This one, I, I mean, I have some like Irish folklore in the background of this one. And like, it's like the, there's the, the I mean, the, it could be epic. You could write this epic novel that just is so nuanced and textured and you know, all these subplots. It could be amazing. I, I wanted to do something like more horror, you know, because I don't think I've done like legit horror, at least for the podcast here it's been like some suspense i don't know if would you call any any of the other ones horror i mean your your first story could maybe maybe the dude torturing straddle the fence there maybe yeah but yeah i really wanted to get creepy and like so i i read a couple of like horror short stories to prep for it but i really need to dive back into the genre like i need to read a bunch of horror so that i could do this some justice yeah that's that's i'm not well read in horror um but I, I maybe should read something because I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, obviously when you see a movie, there's, there's more, uh, you know, more of your senses involved. So it's, it's, uh, oh, sure. it's, it's and they easier to make you afraid in that sense. But I'm like, could I actually be afraid having read a book? Like I, I just, to me, I'm like, I don't think I could. So but. I can say that I think legitimately like The Shining is scary. Really? Uh, but it's like you have to be willing to like you have to go all in and that is like one of Stephen King's like epic works mm-hmm. um i think it's something like 1400 pages yeah so like but you got to go all in you have to like enter and the i think the the thing about him is he builds the world up so much that and it's he builds the world up so much but it's not like fantastical like you can believe everything that he's saying Mm -hmm. like you know it's not out of the realm of possibility which is what makes it so creepy um Hmm. which was what i was trying to do here i was i was trying like there's there's obviously like like some hint of like possession or something here so there are some fantastic elements to this but i wanted it to be like creepy because i think even it was creepy i think even to just like young kids i think old people can be creepy yeah, maybe. So I don't know, but I had a lot of fun with this one. So yeah, it's it was very. Um, I, I I noticed you took a, sort of like the sort of the multi character viewpoint and that kind of thing. Uh huh. Um, you know, which always lends sort of an interesting perspective because each character sees something different. Yeah. Uh, and, and and the Rose character was so like saccharine. You know, she was so sweet, and like you know maybe even grandmotherly. <laughs> And uh, you know that sort of the front that she puts on, um, which was so diametrically opposed to her, you know how she really was. Well, one thing that I couldn't really work into Rose here at this point, like for the for this story, like what's happening in this story here, she doesn't know. She doesn't know what. Like she she doesn't know she's possessed. Uh, she doesn't know what she's okay. doing. So interesting. So there's there's something within her that takes over. Oh, okay. So I I don't. Yeah, I and, feel I feel maybe bad for her then. She's not. You know, I, I thought she knew what she was doing. So like right now, like I really for 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 the sake of this podcast, I really wanted to like creep factor. You know, like I wanted it to be creepy, but uh, there's there's more depth to Rose. Okay. 
even your choice of her name, you know, Rose is sort of like a, you know, you know, sorry for the pun, but a flowery name, you know, it's like a, Oh yeah, absolutely. Sort of a sweet, unassuming. It feels innocent. Like, yes. Like you wouldn't expect anybody named Rose to be bad. To be sucking the life out of children. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I don't know what else you got. Yeah, I was so the the opening scene. Yes, I was like, are we going down like another story from last <laughs> month? Which you know, in that same universe, it was what I f- first thought. But then, then you immediately shifted, and we kind of go back to the past, and it. I kind of lost that. I didn't. I didn't feel like that's what we were doing anymore. What's kind of crazy though is like what you were saying earlier about weaving them together. I could just as easily have made this like Father Gabriel. Yes. Father Justin. Yeah. And then maybe maybe that's something to be considered. Yeah. I mean, you could have a whole nother layer to the story. It's not, you know, it, it's it's at once very much a sort of a, a crime redemption story, but it's also, you know, there's some supernatural fantastic element to it too. And the trick would be how do you weave it all together coherently so that, you know, not only do you wrap up all the storylines, but they make sense. You, know, you yeah. don't want to have... Maybe it's a shared world. Maybe. That could be. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's more of like a shared world than it is a combined narrative. Right. I didn't even think hmm. about that. Wow. That is two stories right in a row where we have clergy involved. Yeah. That's on your brain, apparently. <laughs> well, what what was hard for me is like I was writing... I started just with Susie as a little girl, right? But I couldn't figure out a way to work the damn prompt into it. Uh, okay. So I was sitting there and I was like, you know, it, it could be kind of cool if I just did one of those, like I was going to cheat it totally. And I was like, what if I wrote a poem at the beginning that just kind of hinted towards something? And that's when I came up with this, but little did we know the brightest light would cast the darkest shadow. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was kind of telling of Rose, oh, yeah. you know you know what For I mean? Sure. But the problem was, is like, I'm fucking no poet. <laughs> So I sat there and I wrote the last line of the poem and I stared at my computer for about an hour and I was like, I can't, I can't write a poem. So I was like, so I was like, I'm just totally going to fucking cheat it. And like, I was like, maybe we'll be at Rose's funeral and then we'll flash back. And then this guy's reading the poem and God damn it, we're just going to snap right into the end of the poem. <laughs> That's what I did. Oh, it worked. I mean, it's, uh. It, it it totally fits the vibe and the you know sort of like who who Rose was as a, as a character, in at least in in the scope of this story. So um, when Su- Susie comes back, is she is it the idea she's a, a volunteer then herself? I think she's going to be a nurse. I didn't okay. really she her character wasn't like I really I know a whole lot about Rose. I don't know a whole lot about Emily yet. Like she's uh-huh. still kind of developing. So you mean Susie? Susie, yes. Yeah. Susie and Emily, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Susie, I don't, I don't necessarily know a whole lot about. She's gonna be a nurse or a nurse's assistant or something like that. So, like, I was, I was working with the timeline. So we went twenty years earlier, right? So we do, we did the funeral, then we jumped back twenty years, and then we had the like the little event where Susie got her soul sucked, and then. We jumped 15. So I allotted for a five-year window for Rose to raise some hell before yeah. she dies. So is it that she, is she like regaining part of her youth then? Yes. Is that the idea? Yes. That's sort and, of what I took away from and it. And so the, the, the demon that 
is inside her is, is pretty intelligent. How I'm, how I'm building him or her up, we got to figure that out. I, I really want to pull from some actual, like, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, de- demonology or whatever. I don't know. I Like, I want to pull from from something that exists. Like, I want to add, like, a realistic element to it. So just, like, I want to go back to to find a demon that kind of fits in the thing. And th- there was this, um, I forget what they were called, but there's, like, some Irish folklore about these demons that come back and feed off the, the souls of children. So I think I'm going to do something like that. But essentially, as you saw, like, it really kind of, it, like, it doesn't feel good for the children, right? No, no, not at all. So this demon draws her into the hospital because the kids are already sick. So nobody's going to think twice if they just feel sicker. Mm-hmm. But if she goes to a healthy kid and does this, then, you know, Got it's it. going to draw attention. That makes sense. So, yeah. So that's um, that's kind of how I came up with that. Interesting. And I work at a children's hospital. So, you know, I've this was modeled off of like one of our floors. Like, you know, I, I like right. to use stuff that I that I actually kind of know because then it helps me. I'm I'm trying to get a little better description, so like I think you'll see like if you even went back to like the very first short story for this podcast up till now, I think I've been I've been consistently trying to add more description. Yeah, yeah, you have. Um, I, th- I think in some cases, you know, especially with a short story, you can get away with depending on the effect you're trying to achieve. You can get away without description, but mm-hmm. I generally, I, I appreciate having the description there. Well, and then I was, as I was reading it, there was some that I like, there's, um, I forget who said it, but somebody said pretty famously, like, if you're going to put something in your story, put it there for a reason. So like, if you throw, if you throw a broom in the corner of the room, like somebody's got to interact with that broom. Otherwise it was just a waste of time. So I actually was thinking about this, what I intended originally, because I left the scoreboard tied six to six. And I think from my experience, most air hockey tables like you win with seven. So I had it six and six and I had it on the goal and I was going to, I originally had Charles fall into the hockey table and the puck fell and then the siren went off and it said, winner, winner, winner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I wanted him to fall into Rose to kind of hint that she was maybe not so great, mm-hmm. but I forgot to go and remove the six and six. So that was kind of extraneous information, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know. Yeah. I think, you know, there, there's, I think sometimes, to a point, yeah, you don't want to put stuff in there that's not going to matter. But in some cases, even if it's not pertinent to the plot, a lot of times the setting or the detail either paints the scene or in some cases it, it helps describe the world or the character, something about them, maybe their possessions or something. So it's not all a waste. Yeah, and I um, one thing about the horror, though, is I, I actually felt like I had to like kind of pull back a little bit because I think when you're trying to get that creep factor, I think I could have added more description to what was actually happening to, to Susie. Or do you think it was, I think it was sufficient it was enough the way it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a difficult thing to describe as it is. And so I think if you force yourself to over describe it, maybe it, it could become awkward rather than just letting the reader kind of take what you give them and run with it. Yeah. The, the, the one thing that I, I don't know if, I described as well as like I see it in my head is when her back arched. Yeah, that's that's the stuff that's always really hard. Like so, I, I might at some point revisit that and see if there's a a way to make that feel more uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where if they're doing something very specific to try to get that point across, sometimes it's difficult. Yeah, it was like my goal was like it was supposed to be shock right at the beginning, and then by the end 
when she was convulsing. Like I just wanted I wanted the reader to feel like, okay, just stop. You're hurting. Like just stop it. Like stop. You're hurting her. <laughs> right. So so I hope that I hope that came I think across. so. Cool. All right. Well, anything else about Siphon here? What do you well what I do think, you think Siphon is a better title. You think so? Well, okay, so because there's there's a more sinister aspect to this than what uh, what Marlena's suggestion. Well, yeah, bears. and I mean that was that was just a joke. Well, sure. So we'll keep it there. I told I told Marlena maybe this would be like Siphon Volume One. Fuck Rose, she's mean. <laughs> but oh, there you go. Yeah. So let's go back to um, Men of the Grail. Yeah, so as you mentioned before, uh, I said over the past two years or so, I've kind of been getting into watches. Um, and there's a there's a watch forum that I wouldn't say I spend an inordinate amount of time on, but probably more time than I should. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like anything else. What's the name of that forum, just out of curiosity? Uh, watch You Seek, I think it's called. Watch, and then the letter U, Seek. Okay, um, I'm, I'm just going to look it up. Is there like a lot of like vintage cool stuff like this? Well, it's not all vintage stuff. So it's anything. It's like, it's straps. It's people who are into vintage watches, dive watches. Let me ask you this. Do they they hate hardcore on the Apple Watch? Is this a very Um, much analog watch type place? So 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 I'll get into some of that. So um, the idea is that with anything else, anything that has a subculture, there's people with opinions, right? And there's... Oh, absolutely. There's snobbery and there is people who just have fun and... You know, so there's guys on here that like they just love watches and they don't care if that watch costs five grand or twenty five bucks. They just love watches, right? And they get it and it's just it's a fun thing for them. And then there's the collector who he never wears his watches. He just wants the collection, right? Yeah. And then there's like the people who are into certain brands and what have you. And um there's even a group of people who, so far as I can tell, refer to themselves as the men of Rolex. And uh that's sort of where the title came from. Men of the Grail, because people talk Yikes. about the yeah. Well, they people talk about their Grail watch, like the the one that they're after, and like the un, un, unobtainable watch, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking to a guy. You're talking to a guy. You love your who, pens. Like, I love my pens. Right. I do the same thing with pens. I have a Grail pen. Yeah, I don't. I'll probably don't, never own it. Well, how much does it cost? <sighs> you keep talking, and I'll look it up. So, I mean, I I wouldn't say I have a Grail watch per se. Um, there's nothing that I'm like, oh, I've, that's, you know, cause I, I, I'm very, um, practical in a sense. So to me, sure. there's, there's a point of diminishing returns where, you know, I, I very much wholeheartedly agree that you get what you pay for, but at some point, like you've overpaid for something that, you know, you're never going to be able to appreciate the, 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 the difference in level of detail or whatever. Although some of these people claim you can, but that's beside the point. I w- here was trying to pillory that sort of snobbishness that, that goes on where, um, you know, there was a comment at some point, someone had, and maybe he was joking, it's hard to tell when you're just reading somebody's comment on a forum, but he was basically asserting that um, we're the people that, like, people want to be, and people want to have our wives, and people want to live the lives we live, and all this stuff. I'm just like, really? Like, I, I don't, I don't, like, if that's your outlook on life, I don't envy you at all, but, um, you know, but it was sort of like this, you know, snobbishness that I was like, at some point, like, you can go buy this you know, because so there's, there's the quartz and mechanical type wars, or some people are like, well, quartz is uh, is a technology it it keeps more accurate time, whereas a, a mechanical watch, which has more charm and appeal, and um, you know, more of like a 
you know, man and machine kind of interaction there because it's, you know, with like an automatic watch, it you wind it and then your the movement of your body keeps it going and all the precise little pieces inside of it, you know, working together and people try to regulate them and get them as accurate as possible. And, and, and that's all fun. But from the perspective of, I just need something that tells time that $25 quartz is going to be way more accurate than, than any Rolex you buy. And so there's, there's always that in the back of my mind, right? Like, sure. I have a couple automatics and I like them and I enjoy them for what they are. But, um, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, your, your gumball watches is, uh, is going to do the job. Right. Um, and so I was sort of playing off that that sort of snobbery, and I think everybody's right. probably snobbish about something. But so do, this... do you have a Grail watch? No, not really. I mean, no? no. Okay. I mean, I have a couple, but they're they're all relatively affordable watches. Um, so I put my Grail pen in the show notes. Okay. And um, so it'll be out there, and you can see it. But my Grail pen is a company named Nakaya. Um, they're Japanese handmade. Um, it's $950. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. So. But I, you know, I, I probably spent more on a watch than maybe would be considered appropriate too. Well, let me ask you this. Like I'm wearing an Apple watch right now. That's 400 bucks. So I was, yeah. So, so there you go. So I was thinking that maybe you would bring up, why didn't you make it like a smartwatch? That's what I thought it was. When you said LCD screen, I was like, oh shit, it's Apple Watch and these people are going to go nuts. No, so I I think there's, there's probably some, and I would tend to agree with these people that would say that that's not really a watch. It's more, I would say it's like a mobile device that you wear on your wrist kind of a thing. I mean, it's on my wrist. It has a clock. Yeah. It has no soul though. I'm sorry. (laughs) Smartwatches have no soul. It tells me when to breathe though. It does. (laughs) It does, but and that, that goes back to the like, you know, what do you want out of a watch? To me, it's like my wife accuses me of accessorizing, which I'm like, well, no, that's not what's happening, but it's kind of what's happening. But, I, <laughs> but I'm like, to me, it's like I need something that, yeah, I can tell the time by, right? So it fulfills its primary function as a timekeeping device, right? And you find something that sort of catches your eye, and you're like, oh, I like that watch, you know, I'd like to have it, and you know. It is what it is. It, it's sort of this weird little hobby I have now. Yeah, so you started out, and I was like, huh, we got some snobbery going on here. And I'm I tried curious. to lay like, it on pretty thick. We, we got, like, rich guys. And then you started talking about timepieces, and I was like, man, he loves watches. This is going to be awesome. And then you started talking about watches. And then when I looked up that watch, it made me laugh because you were talking about <laughs> Omegas and Rolexes. And, like, I don't know a ton about watches, but when you say Omega, I know that's an expensive watch. Right. Like, how much is an Omega? Like, the one that you specifically referenced? Are we talking, like, probably... I don't know. I I think this Rolex Submariner, I think MSRP is probably around seven to eight grand, but I I suspect people pay more for them. Sure. Um, But I don't know about the Omega. I think they're a little cheaper than Rolex, maybe. But, like, the uh, Patek Philippe that I mentioned, I mean, those are upwards of, like, probably 12 to 15 grand, maybe more. I don't don't know. Yeah, I don't look at those kind of watches, really. Sure, but um, so I'm sitting them, there, but... and you're saying all these high-end things, and I was like, something's going to go awry. Like, I knew it. Like, I knew something was going to be funny, and then they're in this room with this dude all in black ready to unveil this watch, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, so what's going to happen? Is he, like, is he, like, pulling all these freaking, like, super rich guys, and there's going to be, like, a bomb, and they're all going to die? Like, what's going on? I mean, that's probably where I would have went with it, yeah. but um, this was brilliant because... You said Casio AE-1200, and I immediately went to Google to find out if it was a real thing or not. And I love this watch. It's it's pretty cool. Like, um, I, 
it's going to end up in my Amazon cart in one day it's when so I cheap, have 25 bucks to, to just like, I'm, I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. The problem is, is I have, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you how to breathe, right? Well, no. And it's not even that. It's just like, I think part of my thing with the Apple watch is it, it costs $400. So I would, I personally would feel guilty leaving that one at home. <laughs> to leave for the day. Well, with it could be like your, your beater watch, right? You know, when if, you're... if I mean, it's 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 going in my cart, and I'm going to add it to save for later. I'm doing it right now. Yeah, like I'm like literally well... adding it to my cart. <laughs> I'm going into my cart. I am moving it to save for later, and it's going to sit there. And the next time that I have like somebody gives me a gift or something, and I have twenty five dollars, I'm going to buy this damn watch because I love it. <laughs> I thought you might, because you can appreciate the, that that 80s the, vibe. The little map is awesome. Yes, it is awesome. And all it does is tell you what time zone your watch is set to, but it looks pretty cool. I urge everybody to go... You know what? It's going in the show notes. All I'm right. putting this... It's going in the show notes, because I love this watch, and I want everybody who's listening to be able to see this watch. All right, which one did you, is it the silver one you're looking at? Yes. Okay, because there's a black version of it too. Yeah, I think the silver one looks just a little more 80s. Yeah, I think Do so Do you too. agree? Yes. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to have happen here that I didn't really have space for because the, 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 the word limit is I wanted to send these guys <laughs> on like this round the world like, like clue <laughs> finding type of thing where clues were embedded in all these vintage timepieces and they had yeah. to like, d- disassemble them and it would be so painful, but they were trying to find the clue that would lead them to this watch. And then they'd get to the end of like, we destroyed all these really <laughs> nice watches to find this Casio, you know, That's funny. but I did, I did have space for it. So it, it, it's also funny that you mentioned the word count where what was your word count? How about 1900. <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think it, 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 it worked. What, what, what for, I ended up for, doing with it. So, I made it a point not to talk about word count before we started reading, but now that we're done and it's over with, <laughs> I went over again. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> this was 3679. 36? 3679. Wow. Last week was, or last month, of, I keep saying a week, last, last month was 3102. The month before that. I didn't know you were that far over. A month before that was 3643. I don't think I've stayed under two at all. Let's just look this up. Wow. Episode four was up 2068. Hmm. Well, maybe you have to set, set that as a personal goal for next time. <laughs> Episode three, 2180. So, yeah, I've gotten worse. Yeah, you have. Yeah, it's all been about 20, 2100. Oh, the first story was 1700. It was way under. Okay, so that's a goal. Next month, dial it back. And next month is... Clown shoes, right? Is that the uh, yes? That the so uh, you know, I was pretty excited about this because I don't know what I'm uh, gonna do with it. You put this out, out I there, know. right? I, well, I put so, a couple things out there to try to get the conversation going, but so the reason that I went and was looking at Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is because they used the term clown right. shoes. In the I movie. figured you'd pick up on that, right? So, and it's from the scene that I, I was talking about. So I'm definitely gonna put a link to that scene, but, but it was just like. Uh, I was thinking it, about it. It was a it random a, thing. They just popped in my sudden, head. All of a sudden, I just had an idea. So, like, I'm ready for clown shoes. I am totally not ready. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. So, let me go back here. And I think that we're probably... Holy shit, we've been recording for an hour and 44 minutes. So, I think it's safe to say that we should wrap up, right? 
Yeah, I think we're okay. <laughs> I think we're probably so, good. If you, dear listener, would like to submit a prompt for us to write about, um, you can go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash pod, or you can hit me up on Twitter or hit the podcast up on Twitter at pod. And there's also a contact page on the website, promptlywrittenpodcast.com. Put prompt in the subject. Um, we'll put them in all the places so that they can be voted on. Uh, Ian, where's the best place for people to find stuff about you? ianlewisfiction.com. And what do we got coming out in just a, April a 8th, week? We got a week. Book. A week from when you're listening to this. Correct. Yeah. Uh, a week. A week from today, uh, from Legend, my first... Uh, fantasy novel um, is going to be out there. So you can pre-order it today if you want or pick up a copy uh, on the week of release and leave a review if you enjoy it. Awesome. The link to pre-order is the first thing in the show notes. So go ahead, click it. Four bucks. Um, You won't be disappointed. Uh, If you want to get a hold of me, uh, matchagaric.com or at matchagaric on Twitter. Uh, I'm going in waves on Twitter. I'm going to try to keep it more regular. Sometimes I just forget or can't think of anything good to say but maybe i'm just gonna start saying stupid shit just to stay out there i don't know um episode eight is gonna be may 6th and the prompt for that is clown shoes if you like what you hear leave a review on apple Podcasts so we can help get the word out um i think that's it so i guess we'll talk to you later all right thanks all right man later